Hello, good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Today we have Gino and I are, have a special guest, Jordan Baker. And so we're looking forward to hearing from him and to learning from him and to picking his brain on ministry, church, walking with wisdom, and serving the Lord. Anthony, thanks for the intro. Here you go. music from anthony always thankful for that and big part of the show so yep yep well jordan thanks for being on brother uh just, it is a pleasure yeah so just to um kind of introduce yourself how you and i know each other is you guys were crazy enough to invite me to your pastor's conference and so we got to get to know each other and you maybe don't know this so i'll tell you this and then let you kind of introduce yourself and, and your church and your family to us but uh, when I got there, you know, you're in Vegas and you're kind of alone and you got your elders and, but you don't know, like, are you and your elders normal people? Are you weird? Like what's, and so we sit down and we start listening to everybody talk and you start talking and you start saying all these things. And I was like, okay, I'm not alone. And so either this guy and I are both crazy or we're not crazy. And, and like, so be encouraged. So I, I chose the we're not crazy to be encouraged. Um, but good call. Yeah, but we might have to let other people decide. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jordan. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, this is my first ever official podcast. So what? Um, I'm excited to venture into these waters and. Uh, had the privilege of getting to know you, Jason, over the last couple of years and enjoyed it thoroughly. And I love when we find that we have so many things in common, even though we didn't know each other before. So that's a pretty special thing. I think it comes out of that we study the same book, we preach from the same Bible, we shepherd the same way. So uh, yeah, I'm a pastor in Southern California at Grace Church of Simi Valley. And uh, the church has been around now for uh, over 60 years, and I am the fourth senior pastor of that church. So it's been, it's been a stable church in our area uh, for years before I got there. They were an expository preaching church. They moved to elders uh, about 10 or 12 years before I got there, and we've loved it. I, I came out here with my wife, Erin. She and I have been married 22 years. And I was just a young man at 25 years old and started as a college pastor part-time while I was going through seminary. And we loved the church, loved the opportunity, and uh, moved to young adult ministry, adult ministry, and then did a three-year transition uh, that culminated in 2012. And I transitioned to become the senior pastor of, of this church, which I was replacing a man who had been 
pastoring that church over 30 years. So that was an interesting change of voice, change of leadership from a seasoned older man to a young punky (laughs) man uh, in myself. So we've had the privilege of raising our three daughters. I have three girls, 16, 15, and 13, all born and raised here. This is the only church they've ever known. And praise the Lord, they they love our church. They love the Lord. And so, so far, so good in that. God has been, like I said, very gracious. And uh, my goal, our goal is always that we would stay as long as God would have us here and Lord willing, train up one of the young men here to replace us someday and hand off the reins for the next 30, 40, 50 years. So that's been our our goal. And I, I'm a big believer in longevity in one place gives you lots of opportunities in ministry. So we have, uh, we've done the hard work of laying groundwork and gaining credibility and relational equity. And so we're starting to see some of the fruitfulness of that over time. Wow. That's great. It's been great. How many years? So add that up. How many years have you been there? So 20 years I've been here. Wow. That's, uh, uh, I just know that because yeah. I'm 45 now. That's, you know, <laughs> giving away the age here. So. Wow. So you you roughly started there, um, yeah, a little after I got saved. Oh, wow. Is that right? Yeah, that's yep. crazy. So I got saved around Yeah, around young, young, prideful when I started. You know, now I'm just older and a little less prideful. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but... But it was great. I mean, I really, I cut my teeth in other in other churches as an intern and uh, different things. But uh, this was the place where we we've learned a ton and been able to really walk with people over a long period of time, which has been pretty sweet. I love it. I love it. It's it's um it's encouraging to hear, you know, because uh, I think that's I share that same stay as long as possible, you know, in yeah. my head. Ideally, whoever takes over for me has come from within. And even in my yeah. head, like we can make that transition in such a way to where um, we don't necessarily have to leave, but the church respects the new guy, you know what I mean? And understands that, Hey, it's not led by the same group of guys as it used to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did the old yes. guy, did he stay or did he go? So it's fascinating. So we did uh like I said, a three year, a uh, three year transition, which um, at the time, in my own heart, it felt really long. In retrospect, I think it was great. It allowed to prep our leadership and congregation for that change. I, uh, we, we transitioned even in preaching from the first year I did one out of every four, second year, two out of every four, the third year of the transition, I was preaching the majority of the time. So our voice, the voice of the preacher kind of shifted slowly. Um, but the man I replaced, who's a faithful man in ministry, boy, he, uh, he did not have a, he wasn't really ready to retire uh, financially and ready to retire in other areas. So he actually stayed another two and a half years with us. And it was, that was a little bit of a challenge to find the right role for him. And so we settled really on just, I said, look, we just want to honor you. And to be honest, you can do whatever you want. So if you want to, if you want to do outreach and hospital visitation and uh, funerals and weddings, do that. Finish out 
some of these relationships, long-standing relationships you've had. And after about two and a half years in his own trying to figure out what to do, he ended up moving up to a church in Northern California and helped out as a transitional senior pastor there. And then eventually up to Auburn, California, where he's a uh, seniors pastor up there. So, but yeah, he stayed on and so much of that was dependent on our relationship together and seeking to honor the Lord and honoring, honoring each other through that. So, yeah, that, um, that's an amazing story. I think, I wonder like, you know, you hear bad transition stories oh, yeah. and you know, you, you, it's always like, well, okay, we're not in there. So we don't know all the details, but you quickly say, Oh, that you can, you can easily draw a line back to pride from the stories you hear. And this is the opposite because what it seems like is you have is like humility and recognition of, Hey, it's time for, you know, for me to move on. Um, and a recognition of, Hey, it's okay to pass the baton. Right. Because even we're not saying men aren't important, but right. It's, it's important that the ministry keep going. Uh, it's almost like when the queen of England dies, the flag drops, okay, the queen is dead. And then it's like, well, long live the king. Cause right. The, the rulership continues. And so the monarchy reigns. So this is almost like this is, these are the stories you don't hear about, but it's almost a testimony instantaneously to why humility is so important in ministry. Oh, I, and and I, and I think in humility, you have to then recognize your own pride. I mean, you have to be self-aware. And I think through that, that's what we learned through that transition is I remember driving with the senior pastor who, Again, I'm more of a type A driving type of personality as a leader. He was more passive and uh, quiet and introverted. So we, we could easily rub um, that way. And, uh, and I told him, you know, when we transition, nothing's going to change in terms of our stance on God's word and preaching, but everything's going to change because I just have a different personality. But... But I said, my two, my only two goals through the whole transition was to honor and glorify the Lord in action and attitude and to honor him as a, as a man and as a faithful preacher. Those are good goals. I was far from perfect in that. I mean, that was challenged all along the way. But the other part of that was helpful for both of us to maintain humility was to have an elder board who stepped in the gap who helped guide and lead that transition so that I didn't have to overstep my bounds. John, who I replaced, couldn't pull the e-brake on the process, you know, when he felt uncomfortable. So that was, I mean, having good, faithful, qualified elders who were willing to have hard conversations was imperative to to helping us walk that path. One of the things we've been talking about, Jordan, uh, well, we preached a couple weeks ago, I was on unity. And I, I said in I said in the sermon, I kind of like, hey, uniformity is not unity. Yeah. And I was really trying to outline, like in scripture, like unity is a focus on the same goal. And mm-hmm. then we're kind of, we're, we're, we're walking in the same direction, but there is a recognition of, hey, not everybody in the church has the same personality, the same gift mix. Um, and you just kind of brought this up. And so I know we didn't pre-talk about this one, but if you don't mind maybe answering, um, like just in what you've seen, you know, because you've seen transition, you've seen more people come and go than we have. Uh, maybe, maybe if you don't mind, just kind of 
um, unpack that a little bit more about the importance of us recognizing that though somebody may step out of a job, kind of what do we do to prepare ourselves for when that new person steps in and saying, mm-hmm. hey, wait a minute, it's okay that this person does it differently. You know what I mean? Because I can't oh, yeah. ask Johnny to be Bobby. You know what I mean? I, I got I to gotta, I gotta let Bob be Bob and, and, and respect the person that left. But you know what I mean? So... Oh yeah. 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 I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's one of the, the more beautiful things in the church is that, uh, we can be different in our personalities, in our preferences, in some of the ways we see things and yet walk together and not see those. The, the big thing is not to see those as, well, you're different. So I'm going to put you in a different category. Mine's somehow better. Yours is worse but I could actually delight in your differences. I could delight in the fact that you, you see it a different way, even if I don't see it that way and still delight that we're, that we're pursuing, like you said, the same goal. And I also think in leadership, one of our big principles of leadership is if you're going to train up a leader, you have to give room for that leader or disciple to do it differently than you and not try to box them in to uh, do it according to your personality or the way you would have done it. If you try to do that, it's so limiting. So, uh, and that's, that could be really frustrating if you're a high control person. If you say, no, like we have thought through this, we have a particular way to do it, and we're doing it this way because of all the thought, prayer, and parameters that we put on this, that's why we're doing it this way. And, and you go, yeah. But as long as it's going in the same direction and the same principles, there's a lot of room for somebody to do it differently. And then you also have to embrace the fact that they're going to do it differently and you have to celebrate that and they may fail in doing it differently and you still have to allow them to move forward because if you pull back the reins then, you shortcut the whole process. So you can't say, see, you did it differently. It should have been my way and, uh, and you take control back. Yeah, you think that so, that see you didn't do it my way. Let me take the control back. That's a little. That sounds a little rooted in pride too. Of course. Yeah. So, so again, I, I I talk about pride a lot, and people will say, "Well, do you? How do you struggle with pride as a pastor?" I said, "I think pride is such a root sin that yes, we're always looking to uproot it. Yes, we're trying to kill it and mortify it, but it's it's." Not just, it just doesn't go away easily. And so, and, and it manifests in a million different ways. So I'd rather be cognizant of it. I'd rather be cautious of it. I'd rather be willing to admit it than, <laughs> than say, no, that's not pride. And, and I, I've told our elders, I said, the thing is, if you, as my friend, Jason, if you can confront me on my pride, you're probably right. Uh, even if I don't see it right away, you're, I'll probably say 99 out of a hundred times you're right. Cause it's just such a pervasive sin. So, so yeah, I think, uh, I think what happens in our pride, especially in the ministry, you could be a full-time pastor or a lay leader is out of insecurity. Cause you're not totally sure you're looking for affirmation for yourself. You're not really sure if you're doing a good job and somebody comes in and does it differently and thrives you take that as a knock on yourself. So that's why it's always easier to control something. 
but then you you hinder the growth that is potentially possible. Right. And I still remember, and I still remember a, a, a professor of mine used to say, "We'd rather control than confront." Mm. Meaning, I'd rather just do it myself than let you have a shot at it. But you may do it differently or even fail, and now I have to enter in and confront it and help redirect you. That's a lot more work. That's harder to do. So we just rather control it ourselves. And, I, and I've watched guys in ministry who have a pretty good ministry, but they try to, they've done it very, they maintain control over everything. And it just means you can't, uh, you, you can't go beyond that scope anymore. That's all you could ever have is what you can control. So, and I don't think that's how Jesus led. I don't think that's the model in the New Testament or the Old Testament. So, right. Yeah, you actually don't. Uh, there's not a lot of stories of Jesus nitpicking other people. No. Yeah. No. And it's, in fact, I think we talked about it. Like even in, when guys preach and they go, well, we want feedback. I'm like, well, I'm really hesitant to give detailed feedback because I can tell you how I would have done it, but th- who cares? That's how I would have done it. So let's talk about why you made this choice. Why did you, use this illustration or walk me through your process of how you got there. And, uh, cause I'm not just trying to get people to do it like me. I want them to do it principally the same way, but then, but then there's a ton of room outside of that. Yeah. I think that I almost wonder if that's something you almost have to teach in an organization too, right? Like, um, yeah. to, Hey, you know, so there's change in the church. There's this, there's this new leader, new elder, new, um, new deacons, you know, your church is growing, responsibilities are being passed off. It almost have you almost have to like remind people consistently, you know, I don't know, like I'm kind of asking uh, while meandering at the same time of like, hey, be intentional in the way you, th- in the way you interpret other people and try yeah. to intentionally give them the benefit of the doubt. And that, that's where unity, right? If we trust that we're working for the same goals, yeah, it almost frees me up to say, "Hey, you know what? I know, I know, Gino's running the same race I am, and I don't understand why he decided to take that that off road, that path. But you know what? I know he's going to the same place I am. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And I, I reserve the right, I think, in any relationship to ask the why question. That's fair. Without questioning them, right? I think there's a difference between saying, "Hey, Gino, sorry, Gino, I'm gonna, mm-hmm. no, that's you know, good. Use it as an illustration here." Like, you know, walk me through why did you get off that off-ramp? Like, help me understand how that fits principally or purposely with where we're going as a church. And I think at that point, there's, again, there's still a lot of room there. And, and also, if there isn't, if, if it's not well thought through or it is outside of the scope, then, then you can help draw it back in. So it doesn't mean, I, I think the, Maintaining unity means you still have to have the hard conversation. You still have to bring people back sometimes directionally, but there's a lot more room than you normally think than you normally think. And I, and I think those are really the hard nuanced conversations. Yeah. Um, the directional one. Yeah. Love always takes work though. Well, and love is super inefficient. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, good. Cause it, you know, uh, my kids are good at sometimes criticizing and I always ask them, well, what should it look like? And they don't have an answer. And it <laughs> always makes me realize like, oh yeah, it's always easy to kind of say, well, that's not right. 
But then right. it's actually takes right thoughtfulness, work and love to go. Yeah. Okay. Th- this is a way to do, th- you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's yeah. easy for me to yeah. pick the quarterback when I'm sitting on the couch eating a hamburger. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And, and I, I think I've been, I think I'm learning <laughs> like you probably, you both have probably experienced this too being in leadership for any amount of time. Um, I get nitpicked as a leader all the time. So I know what it feels like. It's not helpful. It's not constructive. It's not encouraging. And so I'm very slow. Then I'd rather encourage somebody than, and, and I'm going to be very, um, I'm going to, I'm going to choose my spots. I'm going to pick battles of what, of what's that confrontation card or what's that hard conversation. I'm going to encourage, encourage. And then when there's something tangible, clear, that we can help with, we're going to enter in at that point. I, you know, I wonder if this is, um, when I think about the mistakes I've made, I look back and think I was always under-informed. Mm. You know, not, not because I, I don't think, you know, I mean, obviously I've, I sin. And so sometimes my motives are off. Um, and there's repentance and okay, Lord. Um, but like when I think about actual leadership mistakes that were made, from, from, you know, most of the time in a post-op evaluation, it's like, oh, missing key information. <laughs> um, right. You know what I mean? And so maybe even, I don't know if you've ever kind of looked back and gone, hey, some of the mistakes we made were, you know, maybe we rushed it rather than getting information. Um, sure. Yeah. I guess the reason why I'm thinking that might be important is because for somebody who is maybe criticizing, you know, you on the outside or or, or their pastor on the outside or me, maybe maybe what they don't realize is that you have information we don't or maybe we have information that you don't and right. so your the criticism comes from a perspective of well I don't understand why they didn't yeah. do this because this is logical and then they sit down and talk to us and they find out oh they did think about that but they oh, had 65 sure. other things they were thinking through that I wasn't even aware they needed to think through for sure I yeah. mean that's the that's the typical, uh, you know, response to you, you have 80% of the information, so you draw a conclusion. Yeah. And I go, well, what you didn't know is this other important 20%. And, uh, and, and I, I'm, if I, if the 80% were all there is, I can see where you, you land there. But, I, but I also think in the whole of what we're, I think what we're trying to train and teach into leadership is so counterintuitive and countercultural that because it's principally based, it's servant based, it's humility based, it's all of those things that it does take training and time because it's not natural. Ooh, that's good. And and so it's 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 such a new mindset to have, and you most everybody wants to default to. Black and white, easy answers, non-nuanced, uh, even we'd call that at some levels legalistic, like just tell me what to do. But we're actually trying to help people see uh, the whole of Scripture, have a lens of a, of a biblical worldview to make nuanced, wise calls in every situation. That doesn't come easily. That takes time. And, um, and I, and I feel like once, once we get a, a person there, a disciple or a leader there, and they're thinking that way, well, not that my job's done, but now, now they're going to be off and running in the right direction. So 
I do think, I think that that's sometimes the all, it, it's just when we get criticized, I'm like, ah, like I want to have compassion and empathy, not frustration because I'm going, no, we want to, we want to help you see something different. Yeah. And it takes time. And yeah. I, I hope we're right, but I don't know. Right. Well, and that, that's a, just it too, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes you, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we process information wrong. We make mistakes. That's, that's right. Yep. That's so, right. Um, and, and we learn and, from and that. I, I resonate with our, Al Moeller and his book on leadership. He, he says, you know, one of the marks of a leader is you have to, a, a biblical leader, is you have to be right most of the time. Yeah. I go, got it. Like you have, you can't just make, I had, I worked with some, some burgeoning leaders who, it was like almost every time they made the wrong call. <laughs> I'm like, man, given two opportunities, you took the wrong way. <laughs> so you have, you have to see it rightly most of the time, but man, we are, we are definitely not going to, not going to bat a thousand on these things. See that so, guy's and beneficial. That, and that's I think, you're right. That guy's beneficial in the elders meeting. Cause Chuck's like, I say we do this and you're like, Nope, we're doing that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yep. No, and and we just we just had an elder, you know, who's having, who's running point on a on kind of a, a church discipline thing, and uh, but he he vetted out among the whole elder board, and it brought such clarity to him because he goes, okay, I see it more clearly now. We're we're all in lockstep. I'm not crazy. I'm not off. I'm not moving this direction. We we see it the same way, which gives a ton of confidence in moving forward. Yeah, you keep using this um, this word, and it's like music to my ears. Uh, and you mentioned it uh, even at the conferences last year. Uh, principles over rules. Yeah, yeah. Like, like walk us through that. Why, why in your thinking? Because um, I've, you know, I've obviously heard you talk more than what somebody on the podcast is going to hear this now. Yeah, but um, it's you know whenever we're discussing and anytime I hear you talk ministry and situations you're going through, I've never heard you go back to a rule. You you go back to like principles, and so maybe yeah. maybe walk me through like walk us through why why is that like what what led you to that approach like why that approach? Yeah, that's a, you know I I think part of it is I I grew up in definitely more of a. Um, structured and and I think the expression of that structure was more legalistic in the in the terms of uh, you know how do you keep the Sabbath there were these rules to keep the Sabbath and I go in some ways that's fine we all you said it earlier like how how are we supposed to love well we all have to think through how does love manifest itself so you have to think through these biblical commands that are open-ended and you have to say, okay, that's going to look this way for me. The problem is when I, when I take that and I apply it to you, like you have to do it the same way. Now I'm overreaching. So the way it seems to me that the Bible lays itself out, David in the Old Testament was a man after God's own heart. God, men looks at the outside. God looks at the inside of man. It's, it's the inner workings of our heart. We have a new uh, mind of Christ to think. We have a new softened heart that moved from stone to flesh. So now I can, I can take what the Bible calls me to, to glorify God, to seek to magnify Christ in all of my life. If all of my life is seeking to glorify God, then I have to, I have to put that into practice 
in every single aspect of my life, from action to thought to attitude to motive. So that takes a lot of thinking and a lot of prayer and a lot of trying to apply that. Most times we want somebody to do the work for us and just tell us what to do. Mm. I don't think that's bad, but like you're missing a whole step. So even in counseling, it's almost a running joke in our church. People say, well, here's a situation I'm having at work. What should I do? And what people are looking for is they're looking for me to give them the answer. Well, you should quit. You should, you should, you know, talk to your boss. You should do these things. And I say, I, I will very rarely, if ne- probably never tell you what to do, but I will point you back to scripture. Let's, let's look at what scripture says about what is true in this situation. What does it say about you and about God and about what the gospel calls us to and, and how to love our enemies and how to love other people. And let's talk about that. And at that point, then make a decision. So that's the process. And I think if you skip that process, to skip that process, you just go to rules. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to do college ministry and it was great because we would talk about all the heavy hitters, right? All the, the classic like movies to entertainment, to drinking, to smoking, to, to premarital sex, right? Or premarital, uh, uh, how far is too far kind of thing. And in all of those things, the students wanted us to have rules or they were coming out of rules and <laughs> and and they wanted us to fill in the blanks and we wouldn't do it. The interesting thing is to have somebody live in in what I think the Bible says about being truly free in Christ or having true Christian liberty is it means that I'm my my freest expression of my liberty in Christ is sometimes I limit my own liberty. Sometimes. But that, and that limiting could look like legalism. It could look like rules, but it's far different. What we would see in our college students is, is they would start by wanting a bunch of rules. Then we say, there are no rules. <laughs> and so then they would, they'd go, sweet, no rules. And they would start to violate their consciences and actually open the floodgate too much and sin. And then they realize, oh, hold on, I can't do that. Now I have to think through these things. What is glorifying to, to the Lord in all these areas? And the, the payoff of that in maturity is you're going, actually, I see all those things rightly now. I'm not going to make a rule over on myself that the Bible doesn't in terms of drinking or smoking or dancing or movies or whatever, whatever that hot button issue is. I'm going to think through it biblically situation by situation and ask myself, how does this glorify the Lord? How does this help me grow? Is this a mature call? Is this helping me love my neighbor? I'm going to, I'm going to start to vet things out that way. And that way I, I'm not dependent on somebody else's rule for my life. I'm not dependent on, on 613, you know, commands off the 10 commandments. I'm, I'm thinking I'm actually a biblical thinker at that point. I am trusting the work of scripture in my mind and the Holy Spirit guiding me in the truth to make decisions moving forward. That I believe is what principles, principally driven life, a principally driven life looks like. That also demands that you have to know the principles. (laughs) Like, it also means you're not just living for your own glory, your own pleasure, your own self. 
because at the core of it, it's still selflessness. So I'm Christian being free and, and living in liberty also means I, it's, it's no longer about my, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So that's, that's also a principle. Am I doing this just for my own satisfaction or my, you know, um, my own enjoyment, not that I'm anti-enjoyment, but am I enjoying this because I'm enjoying Christ or just, just feeding my flesh? Right. So yeah. that, that all plays into. I don't know if you've seen Gavin Orland's book on uh, humility. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he actually had a really good section in there, kind of in line with what you're saying about the humble person can actually enjoy the things God has given to us when we understand their proper usage. Yeah. And, and I think for some people that's scary because you kind of envision like, you know, some Christian drinking a, a 12 pack of beer and, you know, like wanting to get inebriated. But then when you like kind of what you're saying, when you understand the principle, you realize, well, the Holy Spirit in us is not leading us to that way. He, he's changed our desires. So our desire is actually not even to be drunk. Right. And so. Right in its proper place, like a beer after mowing the yard in 110 degree weather, you know, there's kind of something refreshing and Hey Lord, I finished a job. But then again, if you're standing next to somebody that's uncomfortable with you, you're going to be like, Hey, yeah. I have a love for this person. I'll just grab a cold cup of water and I'll get the yeah. beer the next day. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. And it is more difficult because you have to think through more, but I think what, yeah. what you're saying is the payoff is actually, is actually like, it's actually God honoring and God glorifying at that level. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's what I'm like, what, I, what I've observed in my own heart, my own family, my, this, this church is, is teaching how to live principally takes time and practice. Like it, it is, it is much easier to get somebody to say, just don't go to these types of movies. Don't drink this kind of thing. Don't go to dances or whatever. Like you, you categorize it for them. But that's low level. That's non-thinking. And, and that doesn't actually target the heart. Like you can, you can have somebody conform to all those things, but their heart isn't changed. Mm -hmm. And so true heart change means I'm trying to think through, again, all of these aspects in every area of my life. And I think it's, it's a fascinating thing to play that out in the culture of a church. Like one of the things that we try to, we have a lot of young families. We have, you know, 150, you know, uh, kids from youth on down to birth. And in that, you have families deciding on uh, schooling, let's say, for right now, whether they're going to go public school, homeschool, private school, you know, um, what, what are they going to do? And we won't make a rule on it, right? We're not going to say this one is better. So actually, my job as a pastor is I'm actually working with all of our families who are engaged in all those different kinds of educational processes. And each family is going to want to say, they want me to say this one's better, but endorse this one, make us feel better that we chose the right one. Isn't this a good, good one? Yeah, this is good. So would you say this is better than this and this one? Not necessarily. Every family is going to have to decide for themselves. And we will, we will uphold as long as it's not a sinful decision or an unbiblical one, we're going to support it. So so you, you can easily start to get disunity in liberty in a church, I guess on either end. You could say legalistically, we only do it this way, so anybody who does it differently feels left out, or that we, we think we've 
figured this one out, so everyone should do it this way. So I think that's how the principally, and if I'm principally driven, the, the, the weird thing is you and I, the three of us, principally in a situation to come up with a different pathway. Like we can be faced with a situation. We each come up with a different way of, of walking that path and we could all be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the, I think that's, that's that would, check. yeah, that would have been hard for me to understand 15 years ago. A hundred percent. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Because in, in my mind, like there's only one truth and the truth is evident. It's clear. But I think and what, it is. Yes. The truth is. Yes. Yeah. As as another friend said, uh, the scripture is black and white. It's unfortunate our situations are not always. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But the thing I think the thing that you start to learn is wait a minute. If God has crafted each of us individually and uniquely, right? Yeah. All the three of our wives are different people, which automatically yeah. means because they're different personalities, going back to what you said earlier, it means we're going to be navigating different situations. Yeah. And so we have to, we can use the same Bible, but we might have to navigate different personalities, right? Different financial situations, different, you know, probably a oh, hundred different factors. A hundred different factors. So all of us, if we compare to what it looks like for each of us to serve and love our wives, that expression of loving, manifestation of loving them, it's going to look different. Yeah. And if I try to implement exactly the way that you love your wife, the same way and I try to take that and one for one it with my wife, my wife would go, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like that's not loving for me. So I mean, that that's the principle, right? The principle is I want to love my wife like Christ loved the church. So if I'm doing that, like I, I also need to be a student of her and, and love her the way she needs to be loved, which could look at uh, very much different than, than you. It's also why like I, you know, we've talked about family devotions and how do you train your kids and those kind of things. And I'm very hesitant to let people know, unless it's we can explain it, how we how we do that at home, how we do Bible study and Bible teaching at home. Because people go, well, you do it that way, but I'm going to use that same book or method or that way. I'm going, that may not work for you. Mm. That that may not be okay. May not be good for you. You have to you have to think through what's best for your family. Yeah, that's why serving so difficult because not only do you have to be a learner of scripture, you got to be a learner yeah. of the situation and the, yeah. the specific people around you. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's right. It, which, which, again, demands high engagement, high thought, high prayer, high dependency in the spirit. Like you have all of those things, but I think that's why we've been given again these new hearts and new minds to think this way. We have the scripture. We we. We have the, the key to every situation, yeah. but we have, to, we have to think through these things. And instead of looking, that's why the whole of Scripture, old to new, comes to bear, because we're not looking for just one-to-one, you know, application. Right. We're looking for, for how to think through these things, how, who, based on the character of God and what pleases Him and, and those kind of things. Yeah, that's why I think even fellowship in your church is so important because you oh, yeah. you see if you can if you're seeing the same group of people habitually, they get to know you, and then the encouragement they give you is more nuanced to your specific to your specific situation. Whereas if you're just waiting for the pastor to bring up your situation and tell you what to do in a sermon, 
that's really right. hard to do. Cor- correct. Like, yeah. and again, we all want, we want, <laughs> we want the kind of expectation sometimes is we want the pastor to apply to my life. Yeah. Well, your life is so nuanced, right? Like there's so many nuances there. I, I would have to gather a ton of information to even, even begin to weigh in. Yeah. So I think that's why even in sermons, we're, we're applying it principally. And if you're applying it principally, it actually speaks to everybody yeah. in every generation. It, it, that, that principle applies across the board. And, and the job of every congregant, member, hearer of God's word is to say, okay, I'm going to take this, this biblical principle and, and see how this plays out in my thinking, in my attitude, in my actions. Does this call for a change? Like, that's what we're calling people to. And you can give specific situations as illustrations, but, but I would think the more, sometimes the more specifically we try to uh, apply things, the, the fewer actually we get to apply the principle to, because it's, so, it's too specific. So kind of building off that, um, you know, let, let's say, um, hey, Pastor Jordan, um, you know, I don't know how to listen to a sermon. What's one important tip you give me as a listener to your preaching? Like what, what's something I should learn? What's something I should sit down with while you're preaching, right? Yeah, I think, I think the, the goal I think of every time I preach is I want you to walk away with a better understanding of whatever text we're going through. I want you to understand the main point of that text so that the next time, the next time you read it on your own, the next time you hear it, you go, okay, I know what that text is about. I have a better understanding of what that text is about. Um, and that doesn't mean you're not going to get specific things out of it or specific points, but I think that's still the main, like, listen <laughs> and don't get caught up in get caught up in all the, the, the minor points necessarily. If you're, if you're listening for the first time, listen and get the whole of it because there should be one driving main point. Like this last Sunday, we talked first Samuel 15 about the near or almost repentance of Saul and where he fell short of true repentance. So, so there's a narrative and it's, fascinating narrative and cool stories and hacking Agag to pieces. There's a lot of parts to it, but, but the key, the key thing is see that main point of what repentance isn't, what repentance is so that you can then evaluate your own life accordingly. Hmm. Am I one who actually has fully repented or not? Or do I, do I actually have, more of a resonance with Saul in his unrepentance than somebody who has fully repented. So I think that, that to me is when I'm listening to a sermon, I want to, I want to capture that whole, um, cause I'm easily distracted usually for myself when I'm listening, but, um, and, and then, and then dig down into the, the finer points and the sub points and, and some of the more minor applications there. But I, I would hope in most every sermon that's, there's one main takeaway, the main point of the text that can be applied to every single life in every single believer's life who's listening to it. So like the listener, are you saying that the listener should, um, oh, sorry, 
this is Gino, by the way. I've been a fly hey, on the wall. <laughs> I've been a fly on the wall here and enjoying the the wisdom. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so as a listener, um, are we training our listeners to listen for that one point uh, specifically? I know you're talking from the perspective of a pre- preacher preaching the text. Um, is that the advice you'd give to the listener? Yeah, I mean, again, if, if I'm funneling it down to one thing, but if, I, if I'm saying just in general, again, I think that the goal of it, whether it's a Bible study that, you know, in a house, a Bible study that you're doing in your church or preaching a sermon, like you, I think the goal of that study is to come to grips with whatever text you're going through, whatever passage you're going through or, or topic you're going through to, to make sure you understand that text in such a way that you know what it says, you know what it means, so that you can walk away with proper application. Meaning, I understand, I understand the, the whole of it, I understand the principle, or I can apply a principle from this text. So that we're not just, we're not just saying, well, you know, this just it's clearly applied to me in this very specific thing, and maybe it did, but but still, I want it. I want it to be a little bit bigger than that, or broader than that. But it all comes down to: Do you understand the text in its original meaning? Do you understand the text and what it means, so that so that you can go back as again as you're studying and understand it for yourself? Yeah. Which is yeah to kind of bring it back full circle, right? That's part of this wisdom process that you're talking about, right? Yeah. Understanding scripture and the point of scripture. You know, to say, okay, here's my situation, um, and even even in your point of false repentance, to maybe say, okay, um, I am sweeping my sin under the rug. Um, yeah, I, I do feel guilty, but instead of confessing and and turning away from the sin, right, I'm I'm now trying to like restore my relationship with my spouse by cleaning the kitchen and sending her flowers, yeah. rather than, hey, honey, I sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? So. Yeah. yeah, and and I and I think too, um, uh, most of scripture again, it's you are. I think as teachers of preachers, we're targeting the mind and the heart, because I know when those change, like the application will come naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't need to. First Thessalonians four says we are God taught to love. But if I'm God taught to love, I don't necessarily need to inform everybody how they're supposed to love, because mm. I'm God taught. So, but I need to, I need to frame, I need to have people, help people understand scripture so that they have a mindset, a, a heart that understands these things so that, um, again, in every situation, they can be biblical thinkers, that they have biblical wisdom, that they, they see how, cause I, cause I think one of my favorite things in teaching is the aha moments of people where they're going, man, I've read that passage before, but I never really understood it. Or I've read that passage before, and I thought it was about this, but really it's about this. I go, yep. Because once you understand what it's really about, now now the the application starts to get not easy, but but clearer, clearer than before. That's super helpful, because what you're really saying is, in thinking principally, you're really helping people to think with wisdom. I mean, that's kind of, um, Correct. yeah, because yeah, it starts with the fear of the Lord and the fear of the Lord Correct. says that I will submit to the meaning of this text. 
And so in doing that, you're actually saying, yeah, I will follow the Lord. Um, yep. it's, it's super helpful. I, I just, just thinking of counseling situations and, um, I, I think it was very helpful that, that phrase that you used earlier, love is inefficient. And it's because, yeah. <laughs> it's because teaching the principle, I mean, making disciples is, is not simply, Oh, Jesus died for your sins. That's part one. But then you still got to help them learn to walk with godly wisdom through every nuanced situation in their life. That's right. Yeah. So, so it's fascinating, you know, in counseling, because I'm in the midst of a couple of different counseling situations now, the c- counseling and preaching are eerily similar. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just the scope of your audience and, and the ability and time you have to, to unpack things. Because even in counseling, it's the same thing. Like, huh, it's not usually difficult to diagnose what needs to change and where somebody's going wrong. It's just, how do you affect change? Mm-hmm. And it, I'd love to just shake them and say, just stop doing this and do this. Stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> stop, just stop it, right? The old, yeah, the, yes. the Newman, you know. That's right. Or I'll put you in a box. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, like, that would be, that would be easier, mm-hmm. but that doesn't actually affect change because really, usually people are in because they're in a crisis, mm-hmm. but they're in a crisis because they formed habits and, and, lived up in rebellion against the Lord and, and all these areas and got to this point. So that's the challenge, right? Is to redirect their mind and heart. And most times they've neglected the word. They don't know what scripture says or they're not obedient to it. And, and so whatever's manifesting, whatever's showing itself, we're going to address that. But actually that's just the open door to address their heart mm-hmm. and say, and say the problem most times, in almost every counseling situation is you're trying to do it on your own way. You're in rebellion against the Lord. You think you're the Lord of your life. You think the problem in your life is your spouse or somebody else. And you need to yield yourself in submission and humble obedience to the, to the Lord. And if you do that, most often I'm out of a job Mm. as a counselor, Yeah. right? If you would do that, but again, I can, I'm, I'm going to say that to a counselee a hundred different times in a hundred different ways. Right. And, but I'm also doing that as a, as a pastor preacher, like how, how often Jason, when you're preaching, are we kind of saying the same thing Oh yeah, over and over from oh, different yeah. texts? Oh yeah. Uh, to and, be fair, and it, yeah. Yeah. And it's not that we're, it's, it's fresh because you're saying that something different from an old Testament narrative to a new Testament narrative to a, you know, uh, 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 an epistle and those kind of things. But, but really, your your target is still the same, and it's still a reminder of who we serve and who we are and what needs to change in our life. And and once once we go through that grid, now I'm now the application specifically to my life becomes a lot more clear. Yeah. Did you listen to my sermon yesterday? <laughs> you so I, you don't <laughs> I know this. I'm sorry. No, no, you're I good. Did not. My first point was Ezekiel thirty six. Second point was mm-hmm. Pentecost in Acts two, and then my third point was from Galatians three two of how then do you get the Holy Spirit? And right. so you just literally it was like Old Testament New Testament epistle, and I was like, yeah, that was it yesterday. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, it's funny because you it's there are times where I look at my outline and go, I think I've said this a hundred times. Yeah, and and I almost want to like, you know, and somebody I keep waiting for somebody to come up and being like, man, you've you've preached that before. But it's right. funny, the longer I go and do that, 
the more I actually realize, you know what? I actually needed to hear it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We are, again, just think of all that. Why God built in communion. Oh, yeah. Why he built in, you know, these things to repeat. Remember, it says in 2 Timothy 1, remember Jesus Christ. Yep. What, did I forget him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All I the mean, time. you're just yeah. so prone to forgetfulness. Yes, and yeah. actually, that's been very freeing. Because I, I don't like the idea of repeating myself or repeating an illustration or repeating a story, those kinds of things, which is a challenge being in one place for a long time. But, but it's actually been freeing because I'm like, you know what? If I do repeat myself, so does the Bible. Yeah. And I think that's what's needed. Um, and, and I tell our congregation all the time, very rarely am I going to bring something to you that you have never heard before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I'm bringing something to you that you have never heard before, you probably should be a little cautious and wary yeah. that, that I'm coming up with something new. So, and that doesn't mean, and I, that means you got to be careful. You can't just say it the same way or, you know, do the same rhythm and every sermon ends with an altar call or whatever. But, but it's actually freeing to know the same message is all through scripture we're going to keep hitting on these things over and over. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know you have you preached through John? Cause I have not. I, yeah. I'm amazed at how many times uh, I'll kind of be in a section of John and I sit there and I go, this is what Paul's talking about in first Corinthians. Yeah. Amazing. That relationship almost to the point to where you're like, okay, the, the spirit intentionally like, yeah, it's crazy, especially when he's confronting the Pharisees. Anyway, uh, well, I, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm going to tackle First Samuel 16 on Sunday. God, man looks at the outside; God looks at the heart. This last week, I was counseling a couple through First Peter three about even if if a husband is disobedient to the word, a wife still submits uh, because God cherishes the inner, hidden, secret person of the heart. Yeah. I go, it's the same thing, yeah. right? There's, there's, there, and that's probably going to be one of my applications from First Samuel 16. It's just, it's the same message. Yeah. Because it's the same God. He desires the same thing and he's, he's working the same thing out, you know? Yeah. I feel like no matter what text, I don't, I preach a handful of times during the year, but I feel like no matter what text I am, it's always some form of teaching, you know, how to love people. Uh, yeah, it's like wow. The God of Love says it a million different ways. Um, right, it makes it makes sense. But I mean, that, that's really the heart of what we're trying to do. We're te- we're teaching people to love like Christ, and that's such. A, you know, when you talk about wisdom, you're talking about principles. It's really you're trying to set that conviction in people's heart. Um, yeah, I guess that's what it is. It's all it's all, they're all related. But uh, yeah, I, I I've always find myself like wow. It's like man. The, the heart of this passage is like uh, love this person or, you know, um, right. Think less of yourself or, or maybe I've just go to those passages all the time. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, but, but again, the greatest commandment, love, love God and love others is a great commandment for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it is a summary for a reason. Yeah. So that's, that's again, the freeing part of, of coming back to that. So, yeah. Yeah, you get yourself in trouble, too, Gina, with Galatians. I know, <laughs> I do. Yeah, 
So, uh, yeah, Jordan, I'll have to tell you about that one later. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. That for but then I found Private. out it was pre-planned. <laughs> he had it written in his notes. I had it written in my notes, yeah. Yeah, so it was crazy. All right. Uh, all I know is I was in Arizona, and I get this start seeing this text thread with a bunch of guys. I was like, aren't these guys all supposed to be in the middle of service? They're still growing in maturity. So, yeah, yeah that's why. <laughs> well, Gina was talking about the danger of legalism and circumcision. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, neat. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. TMI part, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah. yeah. He was cutting to the heart of some situations. Exactly. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> there so, uh, so, it's interesting. Uh, if somebody came up to you, so Jordan said, um, c- kind of trying to like summarize a little bit and put into uh, a succinct, concise, because uh, we've talked about a lot and some of it was not pre planned. Uh, so, that's what I love about these podcasts is they kind of develop their own theme. Yeah. Um, so if somebody came and said, you know, Pastor Jordan, like, how would you define leadership? Like, just mm. off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say it is uh, modeling uh, for others. Uh, what what we do as leaders is we we serve we serve others sacrificially, and we model for them what it looks like to follow Christ. So there's a there's a teaching that happens. You have to teach with words, but you have to model with your life. You have to show it. I think that's the heart of what Jesus did with his disciples for three plus years is he went around and he he taught them, he instructed them, he sat with them, he lived life with them, and he modeled for them so that it was abundantly clear. He would teach the principle, teach the command, and live it out. Mm -hmm. And and that that's what being a godly uh, being a godly father is doing that for your kids, teaching them what it looks like to glorify the Lord, to discipline them, to to see that uh, how you love your wife you're, is you're gonna you're gonna train and teach in the home and protect that way in the truth, but also model it for people. So I think that's the the bone and marrow. That's the the foundation of of leadership. So and that. And I don't think that that has that has to happen over time, yeah. Because uh, we've trained up and sent out guys, but it took time. Yeah, there's. I think I think in kind of worldly leadership thinking, and I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that it's sinful for people to have this thought either. Um, but I, I think I'm starting to observe that for some, they primarily think of leadership as the decision maker. Yeah, and. And I like, how do you think about that in terms of biblical leadership? Because I don't like, I'm not sold that leadership is making decisions, but I do think that sometimes the role, like each of us has a role that requires decisions. A hundred percent. Yeah. You, 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 whether it's unfortunate or the necessary reality of it is being a leader means you do have to make decisions, but if that's how you define it, I think that's where you, you, get off the, the rails a little bit. Um, I think as an, an elder shepherd leader, um, I always tell people we're not, we're not just a group of guys in a smoky room making decisions for the church. Um, we're, we're like, that is a, it's not even a necessary evil. That's the wrong phrase, but it is like, we do have to make decisions in terms of finances and direction and, the course of where we're going to go, uh, that's, that's just inevitable. But that, that's almost secondary 
if that becomes primary, we're, we're missing it because I think first Peter five always gives us a, this beautiful picture, right? Shepherd among the sheep is that we are overseers. So we have responsibility. There is, there is oversight and protection in, in decisions, but we're going to do it among, we're going to know, we're going to care. We're going to heal. We're going to pursue, we're going to bind up all. And, and we're going to do that life on life. And so I think that's the misnomer. I think in worldly leadership is it's more power and control. And, and to be honest, I mean, you know, since I, we're at a church, we have multiple staff, we have, I, we have layers of leadership and I could see, I could easily see the pathway to do it. And I can see the impetus to do it because, because you, you just get people under you, you get other, other, you get yourself further and further away from quote unquote common people. And, and you can kind of do what you want. And I think it's terrible uh, because of first Peter five, it's we shepherd among, we let people know us and see our lives and we should live emulatable life we should like again in uh, like paul said follow me as i follow christ we we should live a life that people go okay that's what a life looks like that is that is moving toward maturity that is loving a wife training kids that that glorifies the lord that serves as part of a community of believers and in the community at large so it's seen and visible including including some of our our foibles and our sin our fault our coming up short if if people <laughs> if people don't um never see us fail never see a struggle those kind of, then then that's not emulatable i can't emulate somebody who's perfect i can't emulate somebody who never does anything wrong i can't emulate somebody who has it all together in the pulpit but i don't see their life right that's good so and that creates the wrong kind of distance um, there. So I, for me, I, in leadership, I can't get away, I don't think, can't get away from it's being, it's still being life on life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's people seeing and observing, does, does this hold up? Is what you're telling me hold up in every aspect of your life? Right. Well, and- that's, why, that's why anyone, any new pastor or elder that we're going to talk to one of the things we'll always, always do is talk to their wife. Yeah, yeah. How, how is he? At, does he shepherd you, love you, care for you at home with your kids? Like, who is he at home? And if it's different than than his public persona, that's a huge red flag. Yeah. So just just in that too, because I mean, yeah, the elders do have to make decisions, but kind of like let's say your your nursery workers are working through something. Is is for you guys? Is that a lot of that like? deferring to them too because they're kind of closer to the trenches like you know what i mean or is that like you know because like you said there's at the size of your church there's kind of some layers between you know potentially the elders and the trenches you know so that dynamic does that make sense totally so so i would for us and again this is just uh i would say depending on the level of decision i have to entrust and free up our leaders to make decisions in their area of oversight. And actually it's like, it's so funny in our structure. I, I hate even saying this, but in our structure, you know, 
the direct reports to me are like the superintendent of the school or executive pastor or those kind of things. So that's how the, the org chart flows down, which is, it just sounds bad. Right. But what it means is, do you know who doesn't make decisions for our nursery? This guy. Yeah, you. Like if, if I do that, I am overreaching and overstepping my bounds. Yeah. So I'll, I'll get hit up on a Sunday morning. Hey, we're out of goldfish in the nursery or we're short staffed in the nursery. I'm like, look, I, that's above my pay grade. Like, I don't know. And it'd be, and if I try to, if I try to insert myself, I'm actually, I'm actually stepping on and stepping over a line and stepping on somebody else's leadership. Even though technically that leader reports back to me. Right. But see, I think that's good leadership because right. Like, like Jesus empowered people around him. Of of course. Yeah. 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 and that means like the, and again, I think there's, it doesn't mean like the big, but the decisions we have to make affect the whole of the church. So we have to make, again, like I said, budget or, or, uh, property decisions or those kinds of things. Like we have to, we have to make some of those decisions at some point sometimes. And the, the responsibility is large because the implications are large. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but we actually, in my mind, we're doing that so that our nursery workers or our youth workers or our Bible study leaders don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Like the last thing I want them to do is have to worry about, have we paid our property taxes or whatever? Right. Like, have we, have we, have we thought about, you know, false teaching coming in? No, that's, we're doing that. You, you're freed up to deal with the really important parts of, of the day in and day out things that go on. Yeah, I feel like the only decision we ever have to make for different kind of people in the church is, hey, we understand the decision you're trying to make, um, but it ripples into two other departments in the church that's going to create too much of a of a problem. So could you possibly find another solution? Yeah. Yeah. And so even then, I don't feel like we're telling them what to do, but just like, hey, we, we know that's probably a wise decision but you're probably unaware of how that's going to affect these other teams or these other ministries. Yes. Yeah. In, in fact, we've the shift over the years of even any meeting we have, any leadership meeting we have the, the quote unquote business aspects, the decision parts there are very minor, usually toward the end, unless, unless it's more important, but pretty most times we're either talking through scripture together or we're talking about shepherding issues together. Yeah. It's funny. Like what's going on with the people of our church. Yeah. Uh, we, I think I'm most, some people I think know this, but I don't remember the last time our elders had a vote. Ah, uh, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And we're yep. not unanimous. So we're, we're a majority vote takes the case, but 90% of our discussions are scripture and how to shepherd specific situations. Yeah. 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 I mean, it goes so back like to the it, principles. I think you're laying down, okay, these are, this is how we're thinking through things and you're yes. actually teaching your people the same thing. So yeah. we, hope, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's super helpful. Yeah. Now, and if you're doing that, like what, what big decisions do I have to make? Well, that's true. Like, What do we have to vote on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why you're probably right. We don't, I mean, yeah, we haven't had to vote on anything in a long time. Mm-hmm. We officially but vote on some financial things cause we have to, but exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Or, or if we're, you know, we've church planted and we've sent people or hired on new people. Like we have to, 
vet that out and, and come to a conclusion on those things. Sure. But, but again, like day in and day out, I actually want to, <laughs> I think it's really important that when Danny, who's our family children's pastor, makes a decision in his area of ministry, I'm going to support it. Yep. Yep. I'm going to, I'm going to say, yeah, like if people complain, I'm like, nope, we're, we're on board with him and, you know, talk to him about it. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to support it most. Then, then I may talk to him about it, but I'm going to support him through and through. Yeah. Cause he's in the trenches. He's got way more information than yeah. I do. Way yeah. more information than the complainer does. Not, not That's to right. knock that. So I know some, I know some guys in my church would, would ask you this question. Okay. What does that look like in the home with your spouse when you disagree on the decision? Like, is that sure. where you just step in and say, I'm the leader, you, you follow me? Or what does that look like? Absolutely goes well every time I do that. <laughs> yeah, Actually, well. I say, woman, submit, and she loves it. Oh, um, I, yeah. And then she falls in line. Yeah, yours too? Uh, do you know, it's fascinating. <laughs> I, I, I share this in marital counseling or premarital counseling. Um, we've, we've never had to do that in our 22 years of marriage. Mm. Like, I've never had to get to a point where I'm saying, Aaron, you just need to submit to me. And I think if I, if I got there, there'd be things wrong on so many levels uh, if we got there. Mm-hmm. Now, that it, I will tell you, so much of that is based on I married a godly woman. So I can't, that, that's one piece of credit I'll take credit for is that I married a godly woman. So much of that is based on her heart and her willingness to submit to the Lord and follow a fallible husband. Mm-hmm. So, so in the end, she, we're going to discuss it. Any, whatever the decision is, we're going to discuss it. We're going to talk it all the way through. I'm going to get her insight. What does she think? And then most often, almost every time we're making the decision together, there's often, she just wants me to make the decision. She goes, I don't know what to do. Why you need to just decide. I'm like, you're right. That's freeing. Thank you. That that I have the responsibility to do that. And on on those rare occasions that I say, she goes, I think we should we should do it this way. And I said, you know what? I think we're going to do it this way for these reasons. I think it's always important in leadership to explain the why. Don't just say we're going to do it this way. Explain the why and how it fits together with the whole of, of the purpose of your marriage, your home, your church is is she's then willing to yield to that uh, because she also knows that in the end, I'm going to be held responsible for the outcome. Mm. And so that's, I think how it plays out in our, that's, that's what I understand as biblical submission in the church and the home is, is in the end, I do have a, a responsibility in, in any decision. And, and what I've learned at our church is, as an elder, I'm also responsible for decisions I didn't make, but people who are under my care have made that come back up to my desk that I'm responsible for. But that's, that's also how biblical leadership and biblical submission work together. Yeah. I think, too, probably if there is just, I mean, I don't know about your home, but like if Kyle and I don't fully agree, like we're also not trying to rush the decision at that point. No. Yeah, you kind of almost like, disagreement to me is like sign of slow down. Right. Because I, yeah. We, right. Cause gather more information, spend more time to think about it. Well, and, and we're, and we're talking about, again, I, I think 
in, in our marriage over 22 years, because we thought through everything principally, for the most part, we're on the same page. Finances, you know, decisions. Of, now we're in waters, like we're trying to decide about my 16-year-old and dating. <laughs> yeah. Well, right now we're in nuance. And, and the answer is, I don't know. You know, she has a young beau after her who, you know, liked her since eighth grade. Because my daughter's awesome. Yeah. And he has good taste. But <laughs> in that nuance, I'm going, well, <laughs> we're not, neither of us is sure. And, and so that's where, again, my wife will say, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this. And it's incumbent on me to listen to that. And, and even go, no, that's, there's wisdom there. Let's, let's do that. Or if I feel strongly about it, I'll say, no, I think, I think this is okay, but we'll see. And, and I, and I may be wrong, but we'll, we'll walk it, walk it this way. Yeah. So we're just, now we're in the nuance, right? We're in like, man, we're trying to walk in wisdom. We're not differentiating in the major categories in terms of, you know, how we're raised, are we raising our kids in the fear of the Lord? Are we trying to honor the Lord and our money and our time and our entertainment and our intimacy and those kinds of things? Yeah. I think I hear too, like if your wife disagreed and like, you're not going to be dismissive of it because there you recognize she's, Never. she's wise and she might have a perspective you don't have. Right. So and, per- and most often she does. Yeah. And so that's where you and slow down and listen. Highly valued. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Again, it. <laughs> I think that that carries over to the church as well, right? Like, um, we we've stopped. We don't even hold like congregational meetings. We don't hold business meetings because, and and I, I I think if you do, that's great. We haven't done it that way, and in the end, whether you do or don't, it's how you communicate and how you listen to your people. Yeah. Do they have an opportunity to, to speak into things and ask questions? Mm-hmm. And and when they do, do you actually listen or are you dismissive? Do you actually consider what they're saying and and mull it over? And I think that's the same in the home and the church. And Aaron, my wife will know if I'm being dismissive. Right? Yeah. Like she would she would know. And 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 I'm not trying to be dis I actually I'm asking her because I want her insight, wisdom, her intuitive view on things. So, um, and then, and then, and then you gather all the information, then you have to make the call and you have to own that on the results of that call. Right. And still, I would say for Aaron, for my wife, it's, she still views it as freeing for her that she doesn't have to bear the weight of that responsibility. Right. Even if you defer to her, which, because yeah. there's 6,000, I mean, That's honestly, right. most of the things that go on between Kyle and I, I just like want to prefer her. Right. So I might follow yeah. her I to, to use the modern phrase. I might kind of follow her lead and okay, we're going to do it this way. And sure. You know, she's in the trenches primarily. So, um, but at the end of the day, if it's a failure, I feel like it's my fault. It, that there it is. Yeah. No, right. it is your fault. Like, yeah. or you will, you will bear the brunt of responsibility. Yeah. Hey, we screw, we messed up, but I'll yep. take the blame. Like even in the way we parent our teens, which we could probably have a whole other hour conversation on. Mm-hmm. But I found that too, even with teens is the older your kids get, you have to guard against being dismissive of them. 
Yeah. Right. Because when they're three years old, it's easy to be dismissive because the logic is so bad that it's funny and you kind of like want to tell people what they said. But when they're 16 years old, sometimes they don't have the wisdom, but it's almost like I find myself going, okay, if I'm just dismissive because I know he doesn't have the wisdom, like it doesn't endear myself to him. So it's actually better to listen to him, hear what he has to say and then say, okay, based on the information you presented, I understand why you think that's wise. Have you thought about these 16 other things? Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, so, so the same way I, I, I'm a big, big believer. I think that the new Testament makes this call as goes the home. So goes the church. I'm going to, the way I shepherd my home is the way I shepherd the church and vice versa. Yeah. There really is not a big difference. So the challenge for us is as our kids get older, we are trying to help them think biblically, wisely, and principally. So when they get to 16, it's no longer, no, you can't do this. You know, you can't talk to this boy at this time. I go, well, hold on. That's not helping them think through this. Right. So now we're saying, well, why, why do you want to do X, Y, and Z? Why do you think it's wise? Why is this helpful? Help helping you in your relationship with the Lord. We're, we're doing that, and that's the challenge, right? Because I know I know in two years, my 16-year-old may be off at college, and I, I won't have day in and day out in. So, so it's the same way we're trying to train people in our church is the way we're trying to train our daughters. Yep. As, as we're learning as well. I mean, we don't have it all figured out by any means, but we're just, we're trying to safely walk through that. I mean, I don't know. And that's what, <laughs> and that's it. why it's, this all works together because, again, like my wife is a hugely valuable companion in trying to figure this out. Right. Because because if it were just about making rules, that'd be easy. Mm-hmm. Yep. But it's not. It's saying, and, and she, ha- I mean, I have all daughters. So, I mean, her insight into the, the female mind at that age is invaluable. So shame on me if I try to make a decision for my family apart from my wife. Yeah, no, that's good. And, um, you know, I think to summarize some things you're saying too, uh, just kind of help the listener is you're never done learning as a leader. And I think that's probably what kills a lot of leaders is maybe you stop learning, which again, you've killed humility at that point. I think there's a, there's a relation to rules there. Cause if, if you are operating by rules, you're actually hurting yourself because you're, 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 you're making, you're hurting your thinking, you're growing. There's a deficiency yeah. there. Um, you, you become deficient in how to think through things if you're just living by rules. I, I think that's what's coming out of everything you've, you've been saying. There's a lot of wisdom there. Um, you, if you're simply or solely living by rules, I, I don't know how you're going to think through nuanced situations. Yes. Agreed. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's what, again, I hope for my oldest, my, all my daughters, they go away to college in two years. I'm gonna, I'm hopeful that they have the framework that given any scenario that they find themselves in, dad, what should I do? I can say, you know, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't prep her for every single scenario that she's going to face. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I also believe like, again, we've been sending out workers to the harvest to sending out, you know, pastors to other churches or starting other churches. Like, it's fascinating because you send guys out and then you realize like we're all doing the same thing in different contexts in slightly different ways, but 
but really the same thing. Same like goal. faced yep. with the same decisions. We're all kind of making the same decision. Yeah. 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 The same type of decision, even though we didn't, we didn't counsel about it because, because we all have the same, the same framework and grid to think through. Yep. No, that's good. And that, that I think gets really dynamic and beautiful. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That, that's God. There is godliness and wisdom. And, um, especially because it's, it's all under the headship of Christ for his glory exactly. built upon his revelation and then respecting really that, Hey, God and his sovereignty gave us these people in this church and this family in this wife. Yeah. And so respecting his creation in such a way to say, okay, Lord, how do I, how do I treasure these people and serve yeah. them and, and appreciate the gifts that are in them. And so, um, well, Okay, so we are probably about at our time's end. Um, although, I think I could listen to this for another hour, two, three, four hours. Um, <laughs> but so, Jordan, thank you for your time. Uh, to summarize this, I think this kind of podcast turned into um, leadership by Jordan Baker. Yeah. yeah. Hey, well, I uh, like I said, it's an honor to be with you guys, and really refreshing and encouraging. Oh, yeah. by, the, I, by the way, I looked it up. Um, a, a mega church is two thousand. So. Jordan, okay. you're halfway oh, there, Jordan. Oh. You're, you're almost there. way below yeah. that. <laughs> we're way below Well, that. you're an almost mega church pastor. How about that? Yeah, because we were joking that <laughs> you might be our first. Yes, yeah. yes. So, okay. We're, we're in no man's land. We're just, uh, you know, we're just trying to figure it out. So, well, and we're, we're, our goal is not to get big. Our goal is to be effective in training and sending. Amen. That's really Amen. 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 That's, yeah, yeah. That, and I would worry, it would worry me if your goal was to get big. Mm-hmm. But if you, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, well, I'm encouraged. Uh, we may have to have you on again. Um, so depending on your time and, um, I would love to. Yeah. So this I has been beneficial to. for us, Jordan. I think this, uh, will serve our church in good ways too. served me. Sir. I oh, don't yeah. speak for Gino, but oh, I grew like an inch here. Yeah. No. And <laughs> if you know Gino, yeah, that, yeah, he's now taller than, um, um, you might be taller than Chris now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Is Chris shorter than you? No, unfortunately. Oh, okay. All right. So anyway, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, what we really need to do is have Jordan come out, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that often. That would be so, fantastic as well. Love yeah. to do it. Yeah. Love Sweet. To do it. Um, okay. Well, Jordan, I'm going to close this out music-wise and then uh, push stop, but I'll, I'll keep you on the line for a second. And uh, so um, Anthony, our guitarist, does the the music for us and so again shout out to him thank you thank you anthony thank you anthony yep and thank one you jordan day, one day he'll listen to this podcast i know, I know. we always <laughs> joke <yeah. laughs> Ten thousand points if you made it this far anthony i'll yeah. buy your lunch there you go all right there it is all right and closing anthony now mm-hmm.